And we will stand under and be inspired by the Word of God today. First Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 9 to 12, but really focus in on verses 11 and 12. So let's listen to verse, uh, the beginning of that just to give us some background. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Please pray with me. Father, as we all stand under your word, we love to hear your voice. We need every syllable to work deep into us. I pray, Lord, that you would feed us today. Help me, Lord, to explain what is from you. And help all of us to be attentive to how we need to be convicted today, how we need to be comforted, converted in some of our thoughts that we've not wanted to let go of. I pray especially for the children that weren't expecting to be in this worship service, that you would give them an attentiveness, give them an attention span. We pray, Lord, that we would hear your voice. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, If it's okay with your parents, kids, I'd like you during the sermon to go ahead and work on two pictures, and I'd love you to come show them to me afterwards if you want. I'd love to see what you're doing, but if you could draw a picture of a dog and kind of everything you know that a dog needs, and also a roller coaster at a theme park. So parents, if you're okay with your kids doing that, it'll somehow show up in the sermon, I hope, Uh, but I'd love to see those afterwards. So, speaking of dogs, our family got a dog this week. How many of you all have a dog right now? There are a lot of dog owners out there. In fact, I was thinking all of you as Wingate students. I mean, this little dog that we got, it's it's called a Westie. It's a West Highland Terrier. It's got the cutest face on the planet. And I was thinking, you know, if you're a college student, let's say like you had a dog all these years and then you had to leave it. Have any of you left a dog at home? Yeah, I'm sorry. If, if, if the rest of our church saw that, there were a lot of very sad faces up here. Give them a hug after the service, all right? Because as we found out, a dog comes into your life, and it's almost like a member of the family, right? It's like a little, like a little baby that's come into the family. One of the things that our family has had to do the last couple of days is we've had to try to figure out, now with this new dog, what is the dog way? I mean, they've got like four legs, so they walk a little different, and they eat food that's a little different. And they make little puddles that if you have suggestions, hey, we're open to it because we're trying to figure out how to get them to do these things outside. But there is a way that a dog conducts its life. And it made me think about how at our church, we've been excited over these last last weeks to talk about stewardship. I mean, how do you conduct your actual life? Um, 
what, we, what we've talked about are a lot of specifics. You know, what do you do with your time? What do you do with your gifts? And I was thinking a good thing to do at this point, as we've discussed a lot of the specifics, is to back up a little bit, because we're going to see in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, and 12, we need to take a look at a more basic way. Uh, two images might help you here. Um, a pie can have all kind of good things in it. You all have your own kind of pies and different ingredients, and some of you like fruit in there, and some of you like chocolate. But that pie needs something more basic, right? It needs a crust. It needs something that will encircle all the goodness inside. And another image that might help, some of you are a bit more into technology. You know, the latest application comes out. And in stewardship, you know, how, what should I do with my money this week? What should I do with my 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 physical exercise. We're trying to steward all these different applications. But basically, you need something that is more like an operating system, something more basic that will be able to help out as you are stewarding your life. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let me give you a little bit of background. The Thessalonians were, were Christians for about two to three years. They were young in this thing called, the, you know, the kingdom. They had heard about Jesus And they were kind of like that last song that we sung. They were so surrendered. They were just lost in love. And we saw it in the beginning of those verses. They're loving on each other. And when Paul and Silvanus and Timothy write this letter, they realize that these new Christians are really excited about the gospel. That they're really excited. And they even say in chapter 4, we want to say a couple of things to you because we know that you're really excited about the gospel. But we want to urge you. We want to exhort you. We want to kind of say like we do with our new little dog, you're doing really good, you're doing really good. But we want to do that with you spiritually and help you to get more of kind of an operating system or what they, would, what they said in, the, in, in, their, in their letter was a walk, a cadence, a basic way to actually experience the Christian life. So they were rewired, they were rebooted in this new kingdom but they needed this new, app, uh, this, this new operating system. So here's kind of where we're going to go today. The Scripture tells us that we can walk the Jesus way by embracing the quiet life, looking at our own affairs, our unique work, and outsiders that may become insiders. So for note-takers, here's the direction. We can walk the Jesus way by first of all embracing the quiet of our own, our own affairs, embracing our unique work and outsiders that might just become insiders. So let's start here. We can walk the Jesus way by embracing a quiet life. Did you see it there? And aspire to live quietly. Now, Paul and Timothy and Sylvanus, they're all concocting this letter And I can imagine the three of them sitting there and talking about how just amazing it is in this new kingdom and saying, how can we get across to these two- to three-year-old Christians in Thessalonica what it means to actually just get into the walk of the Christian life? And they say, let's tell them to say, let's say say something to surprise them. Let's give them a paradox. Do you know what a paradox is? It's like saying something that doesn't totally make sense. It sounds confusing. Uh, and when people, when people give a paradox, and Jesus gave them all the time, it, 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 the, the reason you do that, it's supposed to just wake you up. I mean, if somebody right now walked up front while I was preaching and stood on their head, 
we'd all kind of go, what in the world is going on? Our attention would go to something being turned upside down. So when he says, aspire to live quiet lives, a, a, a paradox is being thrown out there. And it's supposed to be kind of funny and kind of arresting, but just so you understand how this is a paradox, let's talk about this idea of aspire. When you aspire something, there is an eagerness. There is a devotion. You're aiming all your energy. Your heart is set on something. And in the Greek, when, when they wrote and they said aspire, the, Greek, the way that they could actually set up a verb is they would say, do it over and over again. Repeat it. Repeat it. It's not a one-time event. So they're basically saying, we want you to get all eager and strenuous and worked up and stirred up over and over and over again. And this was a special word also that was used in the Greek culture because if somebody was just kind of living a relaxed life and they wanted everybody to, they, they, they wanted to be more known, it was a word that was used of somebody that got out in public life. They got out there and they started blogging and they started posting things on Facebook like every three minutes. And they rose so that everybody knew who this person was and all this energy was being expended. So they, so they used a word that was a very active word. It was used to people that were driven by the desire to know everything, do everything, and be everywhere in Greek culture. And for the Thessalonians, remember, and David gave us some background, they were so excited about Jesus. He dies on the cross. He saves. He rises again. He says, I'm coming back. And all of a sudden, they look around, and somebody in their young congregation had died. And they're thinking, wait a minute. What is going on? I thought, I thought we're all excited about Jesus. He's supposed to come right back, and somebody has just died. And that's why they, they gave those comforting words. They said, they said, look, you don't know when Jesus is going to come back. You're getting all excited, and you're hurrying, but there is a basic cadence. There is a basic way to live the Christian life, so we've got to bring it right back down and slow down. Do you know anybody that's like the Thessalonians? Kind of noisy on the inside, you're driven. You have desires. You know Jesus is coming back, but you're, you're so excited and you're loving on everybody, but you're out of that basic cadence, something in us. I was uh, reading a book by a guy named Zach Eswine, a Presbyterian pastor, and he makes the point that ever since Eve was told, you can be like God, we remember that are born into this family from Adam and Eve we often try to be like God, usually in three ways. We think we can kind of be everywhere. We think we can be all-knowing, omniscient. And sometimes we're even tempted to be omnipresent, kind of everywhere at the same time. So this kind of omniscience, omnipresence, and how about anybody struggle with trying to be like God, being omnipotent? I can fix this. I can engineer this. I can figure this out. Let's talk about those for a second. Because our aspirations, our driving desires, if in fact we get tempted to be omniscient, it means you've just got to know everything. Now, I occasionally will go on Facebook, but I would gather some of you out there are on there more frequently, and you have got to get on there because you have this driven noise in you that says, i got to know. I've just got to know what's going on socially. I, I struggle more when I want to know everything with theology. I mean, if I walk over here and talk to David, my friend... David has theology. I'm going to want to know more. I'm going to want to know more. So for you, it might be social snacking on Facebook. You just got to have that next little Dorito, that next little experience with somebody. 
For me, it might be a little theological tidbit. We all have our temptations to know more and more and more, but do we really need to know everything? Were we made? See, this is getting to our basic walk, our basic stewardship of being a human being. Were we made to know everything? Doesn't 1 Corinthians 13 say, we only know in part? How about omnipresence? That's somebody who says, I've just got to be everywhere. I've got to be at every meeting. I've seen this in church. Some of you are on an awful lot of little church teams. Now, maybe that's because you love this church. But do you really have to be at every little church team? Some of you guys are in every little club at school. We sometimes want to extend our presence socially. So we've got all these little social things. So our little social, our, our you know, computer footprint can get bigger and bigger. We want our presence to be known. We always have to be available by phone. If I interact with all of you, it's amazing how many times if I'm talking to you, J.D., somebody might just pull out a phone because they're, they're present for their friend or they're present. And, and we kind of have this going on in our culture. But does it create a noise in our soul if that's one of our big aspirations, omnipresence? Do we need to be everywhere? Were we made to be everywhere? And can I just make an observation being in the South for the last six years? There are a lot of churches, and a lot of you go to a lot of churches. You're at this great church, and this great church, and now you're at this church, and, and there's pastors. Monday, I'm going to listen to John Piper, and Tuesday, it's going to be this other guy, and Wednesday, my goodness, I mean, there's just this omnipresence. If you're a mom or a dad, let me give you one of the secrets that I've learned raising five kids, and I'm by no means an expert, but here's one of the secrets I've found out in my own temptations with omnipresence and not being necessarily available for my kids. It's this. Quality time is an accident that happens on the road of quantity time. Now, I want you to hear that again. Quality time is an accident that happens on the road of quantity time. I hope that makes sense because if you're always somewhere else being present for others, maybe you're thinking about your job, maybe you're thinking about some sport, your kids are right in front of you. And it's, that, it's the long stretches of road. My dad and I drove across the country when he took a different pastorate when I was growing up. And I remember you're going across, we're going across 80. And I remember just, I don't know if it was Nevada or Iowa, but we're talking about boring, long road. But you know what? Those were the times where Dad and I started to get to know each other. Those were the times that the accidents of a quality moment happened during a long quantity experience where my dad wasn't anywhere but next to me. But maybe you are more tempted towards omnipotence. I've just got to fix something today. I've got to fix everything. I've got to be active. Do we really need to fix everything? Do we really, were we made to fix everything? And does all of our activity actually equal achievement? Is there a correlation always? So some of you here are more aspiring. You, 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 when I say these things, you got that noise in your soul. Others of you, though, realize that aspiring hasn't paid off and you become retiring. Let me talk about that for a second. Aspiring. That's somebody that says, we have got to have one big, extraordinary experience after another. Okay, once again, being in Charlotte for the last six years. Now, granted, I'm from California, and in California we had megachurches, but Charlotte, 
And there, is, there are churches that truly have extraordinary experiences all over the place. Are we made, though, to have sizzle and splash and event after event after event? Were we made for this? You know, the metaphor of the roller coaster comes up. We, we want thrills. We want noise. There's lots of people. But there's very little human interaction on a roller coaster. Calvin said it like this, human beings are ambitious. Same idea as aspiring. And they long to embrace various things at once. We plan to meet and we meet to plan. I was in management for years. I was in the Air Force. I'm an emergency room nurse right now. I don't know how many times I'm planning to meet and I'm meeting to plan. And I look around sometimes going, is this really it? Is this really what life is about? We can fear the ordinary, the boring. We have this existential anxiety, so we fill our lives with spontaneous time fillers, and we all have our own, as our drug of choice to muffle the noise in our hearts. But some of you, I said, are not aspiring. You've given up on all that. You're retiring. You're kind of like what I call Eeyore on Valium. You look around, and you're like, man, life is just, man, it's futile. It's just defeated. I mean, it's just no, no, it's just no, no good at all. Okay, we weren't made for either of those. Maybe this picture will help you. Raising kids, we've always got balls. And there's inevitably, you'd have a nice basketball you pay good money for, but one of the kids, or maybe dad, left it out in the yard. And you find that thing a couple of weeks later after it's been out in the cold and been out in the rain, and you even notice that your kids are kicking it around. A basketball designed to be used through a hoop, is being kicked around, and you pick that thing up, and it's lost some air, and it's cracked, and it's been abused. Do any of us feel like that in our souls? Do we feel like that in our souls? The design that God gave us has been abused. Whenever we aspire to be divine like God, we end up dehumanizing ourselves and dehumanizing others when we try to live in this way. And those of you that are more retiring, you're abusing yourself if you stay in your futility. Jesus is the king. He looks at you and says, now is the time to stand up straight. We're going to urge you to extend the kingdom, to live in a cadence, to live in a walk that actually shows that I'm in charge, that there's a new order of reality what does rehumanize us? Well, it's becoming quiet. Maybe this picture will help you. I love to make ramen noodles. Uh, but for years, I've made them the same way. And the last time I made them, my son Stephen walked over and helped me. And here's what was going on. The way I make my ramen noodles is like this. I put them in after the water is just boiling. I mean, I aspire to get that water boiling, it's sizzling, it's going for it, and I drop my noodles in, and then I, got, I like to put some hot sauce in there. So I put a little hot sauce in there, and I like to get a nice big piece of cheese, like Munster cheese, and I throw that in there. But what will happen is, is when you put those ingredients, and I also put two eggs, all of a sudden it's like, it starts bubbling all over the place. And what I normally do, I'm like, because if you blow at that thing, you can bring it down a couple of inches. So you, when your wife walks in, she won't go, what are you getting the stove all messy for, Right? So I got this great pattern in my life that I put the ingredients in, it's bubbling, but I'm blowing and I'm blowing and I'm blowing, and my son walks over to me, and he's like, Dad, 
And he walks over just to the handle, and he turns it down a little bit. And I'm thinking, my whole life, I have done the put the ingredients in, blow at it. I get nervous. I get worked up. And he's like, Dad, just turn it down a little bit. Quiet it a little bit. This is exactly the type of stewardship. The word quiet is calm, silence. It's unhurried. You're tranquil. It's more simple. It's slow. It's at rest. The Greeks used it for speaking. Somebody's yapping, 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 and they stop. Somebody's laboring with a hammer, and you're trying to get a nap. Anybody in the dorm ever try to get a nap, and somebody's making noise next door? All of a sudden, it stops. Whew. That is a silent, quiet feeling. God made the world with silence all over the place. A seed is thrown into the ground, and there is no noise at all. And that seed somehow, mysteriously, starts to grow roots. And quietly those roots grab the soil. And quietly the sun shines. And all of a sudden, exploding out of the ground is a trunk. And it quietly turns into branches. And now there's shade. And now there's fruit. The whole thing had no noise. It's all over creation. So, have you all caught the paradox The Thessalonians are like, we are on the road of faith. Jesus is the Lord. That's what it says at the beginning of the chapter. Lord Jesus, yes, the gospel's changed us. We love each other. And Paul and Silvanus and Timothy say, we have got to tell them a little secret about the Christian walk. They've got to get all excited and all worked up and sizzled up about being quiet. They've got to get restless about finding rest. They've got to get somewhere by staying put, we've got to tell them to stir themselves up into a sizzle by being still and stopping. We've got to help them to follow Jesus in His way to discover how to recover their dehydrated humanity. I like how G.K. Chesterton put it, the quickest way to get home is to stay. Well, If you struggle here, think about a crock pot, because I think what we need more of at Church of the Redeemer is what I'd call crock pot Christianity. Let's let something slowly get the ingredients added and come to a nice simmer. Let's do that with each other relationally. Let's do that with God. Let's do that with our children and grow up with them. Let's enter into a crockpot Christianity that's a lot quieter. But secondly, as we, walk with the, as we walk the Jesus way and pursue this peaceful paradox, look at the next thing it says. Mind your own affairs. Wow, that is part of the operating system. It is human to be located, to have a particular place. Y'all remember what was nailed over Jesus as He hung there dying for us? Jesus of Nazareth. He wasn't Jesus of Indian Trail. For 30 years, God comes. He takes on our human flesh, and He decides for 30 quiet years to chop wood as a carpenter's son, who then becomes a carpenter, and every night He goes to sleep for 30 years. And if you went over to His axe, you'd have the sap on that axe and the smell 
of trees that grew in Galilee, that grew in one little teeny dot on the planet called Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. We are not made to be everywhere. We are made to mind our own affairs. We are within a limited space, and Jesus launched within that limited space an eternal kingdom. One little thing about us at church here, Presbyterians thrive on having multiple shepherds that just take care of a local flock. Your shepherds here love the fact that they have a particular group that Jesus has given His life for, and they want to go the long haul with this particular group of people. Mind your own affairs, your own responsibilities. What are your concerns? Instead, sometimes we're always somewhere else in our mind. I mean, a lot of times when people go on Facebook, you get jealous, right? You're social snacking and you're like, oh man, I I wish I had what they had. You're living somebody else's affairs. We were meant to notice where we are. Notice where you are in life. What are your affairs? Man, pay attention to your wives. Just start there. Just look at her today and say, look at your hair. Look at the curve of your nose. Look at your ears. You guys are winging it. Let's look at one of your friends, all right? What just, this is the friend that God's given you, and just mind your affairs. Get to know them. Talk to them about something. It says mind your own affairs. Own is a Greek word. It's idios. It's where we get idiosyncrasy. There's this nurse I work with, and whenever she gets cracked up, she always snorts. It's an idiosyncrasy. And I don't know why. I don't know if there's like a science test here, but it's, for some reason, girls, it seems, have that idiosyncrasy. I don't know if I've ever had a guy that's laughing and snorts, but I'm sure they're out there. But it's, I love this lady. But when she gets worked up, she's always going to give you a snort. It's her own thing. We all have our own idiosyncrasies, and we're supposed to be minding them, the incidents and the events of our own life. You know, there's nothing better if, you're, if you have a hard time doing this, if you're so busy minding other people's affairs. At the end of the day, just sit down with someone that you know and just retaste the day. Just think through the day and mention something. For us, it might be at the end of the day with our new dog, just saying, hey, you know, at noon, we took the dog out, and yes, it didn't make the puddle in the living room. It did it in the snow. Just, just an ordinary event that's part of your life. Maybe something silly happened at work, and it's not the greatest, most extraordinary story, but you turn to someone you love, and you tell them the story. We were made to mind our own affairs. Have a meaningful, inefficient conversation at the end of your day with somebody and see how it really makes you start to feel like a human again. Well, how else can we do it? Because the writers of this letter realize this is not easy. God can put you on the road to salvation in life, but you got to walk it. Next thing he says is, Work with your hands by sticking to a slow, steady job. I like how Dorothy Sayers says this. She says, work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. Just as we all mind our own affairs, we all have different jobs that God puts us here for. You know, we were made to contribute. That's why loving others is such a great way to live out our Christianity. 
to contribute and to care and to cultivate something with a creative endurance so that somebody else gets the byproduct. And this is what Paul's saying. Just pay attention to your unique work. The Greeks at that time, they despised manual labor. They despised it. They just thought everybody should be philosophical. Everybody should just socialize politically. And the founder of Christianity was a carpenter. He was a carpenter. There was dirt under his fingernails. So work with your own hands. We were made to indulge and dig into this creation and be creative. Work in your own little workshop. Tiva, I'm not a surgeon, and you ain't no nurse, right? We each, all of you as students, you have different majors. You have different passions. You have different styles, and it's exciting to, to learn those things together. Where is your workshop? One of the metaphors I like is God did not make a bunch of checkers. That we just, we're all the same. We all do the same work. No, we're chess pieces. We have different parts in his drama. And you need to figure out what is that part? What is your little workshop? If it's writing a paper, if you're a mom and today it's changing a diaper, whatever you are doing, you need to work in your little workshop, roll up your sleeves, dig into something in creation, love it, shape it, give it out, put your signature on it. This is the way to live. So let's review. We walk the Jesus way by embracing the quiet of our own affairs, the steady, slow, unique work that we contribute, and we embrace outsiders who might just become insiders. Did you see that in verse 12? All this excitement about stewarding this operating system called Christianity is so that you may live properly. Once again, living properly, it's the basic walk before outsiders. And be dependent on no one. When you were living back then, the rabbis, if you weren't in the community, you were called an outsider. So this is a very common expression that people that weren't in the Christian way, they weren't walking the Jesus way. Paul and Timothy and Sylvanus are saying, there are people that are not yet walking the Christian way. And you've got to live before them. It's the idea of always having an eye on a non-Christian. One of my dreams, and I'm trying to live it out, is if every one of us here had an eye on a non-Christian, not a physical hand or a physical eye, but somebody in your life that does not know the Jesus way, you're a friend to them. You're living before them in such a way they can look at you and then go, you have a quiet life? You labor locally somewhere slowly with your own hands? You're shaping something for others? You are not motivated and aspiring to know it all, do it all, be everywhere. Do you, do you have someone in your life that's not walking in the Jesus way. Because that is where, that's, that's exactly where the Thessalonians were supposed to be living. When our lives are reordered and rehumanized, we are to have an eye on those that are not yet fully human and care about them. Our church, and we said this even in our membership time, it is an embassy. It's an outpost in a foreign land where we are saying to people, come in. There is a new king, and he has set up a new way of being a human. And as we discover how to be human, do we have our eyes on those that are not yet in? People are watching you. They're watching our human being. Will they notice a difference? So we want to be building bridges to outsiders as we learn this new rhythm so that we can help them to do the same.
The other day, uh, Donna Timberlake uh, turned 30 years old, many of you will know, so she had her 30-year-old party. I'm just kidding, she was a year or two older than that, but at her 30-year-old 70s party, which some of you went to, it was a lot of fun. We're all dressed up in funny costumes, but Daryl Timberlake, of all people, says, at the end of the night, there's going to be some dancing. And I thought to myself, man, I didn't raise, I wasn't raised going to dances, and I know my wife was, and my wife can dance. But I thought, I want to get out there and try some of these steps, try some of these moves, and I looked out there, and they all started doing to that disco music, the electric slide. And I'm one of those people, I'm a Johnny Come Lately. I just have not learned the cadence. I haven't learned the moves. But I looked out, and there's Olga, and there's my wife. They know the steps. And as I was trying and giving up, I looked at those two women. And in the midst of the noise, in the midst of all the silliness, There was a quiet on their faces. There was a quiet because they had learned the cadence. The challenge to us today is will we embrace in such a way that we aspire? We get so worked up that we actually start to live quietly. We start to work locally with our own hands and acknowledge that we are humans. We are not know-it-alls, everywhere-it-alls, and do-it-alls. And are we doing this? Because when we look out and see people that don't know how to be human, we want to invite them in. Not because we've got all the steps down, but we're, we're working on them. And we want to see on the face of someone that's learning the new Jesus way, the new dance of quietness. We want to see them enter in. Please pray with me. Father, we are so thankful that your son came, that he actually had teachers like Paul and Timothy and Sylvanus teach us your way. Oh, we're clumsy. We are clumsy. But God, we want to learn how to enter into that quiet. Make us a church that becomes more human. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.